Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is In Between Stations Radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. Good morning. It's early, early morning in Flagstaff, Arizona. I guess before Thanksgiving Day starts. We have a really powerful winds blowing off the San Francisco peaks uh, this early morning. You can still see the stars outside. A couple beautiful planets up there. Mars is getting ready to set in the western horizon. Really intense red this year. Uh, and it's cold. Really cold. It was quite warm yesterday when I went for a run up in the mountains in the pine trees as I do uh, off the trail <laughs> sometimes I stumble and fall but not too often I like those kind of runs because not only are you running uh, and you're running uphill but it increases your coordination as you run too because you have to learn to read the ground the forest floor so you don't fall down and get hurt every once in a while I do kind of like reading the water when you're going fishing but you're reading the earth so you don't trip and fall and it becomes a kind of a an aesthetic that goes along with the running. This is how indigenous people run. They don't run for length of time or to get in shape. I mean not the runners I know, but it's a spiritual experience where you connect to the natural environment around you, the trees and the birds and the animals, and constantly thanking them for for being there, for being alive, for providing you with this beautiful experience called life and it's a it's a it's a beautiful meditation is what it is um getting the blues on the holidays <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people have a rough rough time during the holidays especially when things happen that aren't expected um of course you know i'm struggling as i have been talking about although i didn't want to <laughs> Um, you know, I want to just forget it and not publicly let people know that I had lost someone I'm very close to. My girlfriend, of course, if you've been listening, you know that, Tiva. Um, she's part of these broadcasts. Kind of helps me. Now, I didn't at first. I was really unwilling to share my feelings, especially when they're intimate like that and very personal. You really don't want to share those kind of things, but sometimes you learn you have to. I wanted to share Tiva because she's such, as I said before, highly unusual person. I don't think the planet has a lot of people like that on it. She's just born angels unaware. You're around angels and you're unaware of it. She was one. And I didn't realize until she died that um, that she was what she was, this divine individual. And that's in, in there's my cuckoo <laughs> And that's in light of all the suffering she went through and how she somehow maintained this beautiful soul that she had. So I really miss you, Tiva. There's no one that's going to ever fill your place, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, getting the blues in the holidays. I have a beautiful friend. I've known her for a while. Not only is she nice looking, but she has a beautiful and kind heart. Um, she's having a rough time. She came down to help me. Uh, with the passing of my girlfriend, and I'm grateful for that. 
but I found out in turn that she's having a really, really difficult time. Some awful things happened to her. Seems to be one of those years for that. And it's not, it's not fun to see somebody you love suffer. <laughs> uh, and uh, but she came to help me, and she has helped me a lot. We talk back and forth, and spend time together, both in person and then across the phone as so many of us do these days. I'm very grateful for her. She doesn't really get on. Uh, she's like like Tiva was. She doesn't really get involved in social media and stuff. So I don't even think she listens to very many of my podcasts. I really don't care, to be honest with you, because the friendship's what I value, and her wisdom is, is substantial. So I worked about six years in a hospital and spent... Uh, a lot of that time in the emergency room and sometimes during the holidays I was in the emergency room uh, yeah the phlebotomist on call <laughs> everybody having vacations and I would take the extra pay and because I had friends you know nurses and doctors in the emergency room and I guess I was blessed to have the talent to draw bloods and very ex- to draw blood from people in extreme situations because they have to get that those those blood chemistries in the lab to, to, to get baselines on the person that comes in as a trauma. It's one of the very first things you do. And uh, it's very comparable to a war situation because these people come into the emergency room in the worst of circumstances. And the holidays sometimes are the worst time for tragedies to happen. Especially when families get together. There's fights and there's um, heartbreak. In addition to all the beautiful things... I'm, the reason I want to emphasize in this broadcast, I want to get away from all the happy stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm going to mention that, of course, but I, I empathize with people having a hard time right now. You know, with the passing of my someone I love very much, and this is the time of year we got together. Um, I'm particularly aware this year. You're up there, and now you're down in it, like <laughs> I'm down in it, and um, yeah. I remember out of all, you know, I don't want to go over the the. Because, you know, some of these traumas are awful. People die, or they, d- they have horrible injuries. It's, it can be a rough one. Uh, had people come in from huge family brawls. <laughs> they all get drunk and <laughs> get in fist fights. These are people that love each other, that are <laughs> brother and sister, or, you know, aunt and uncle, and sometimes the alcohol gets a little crazy. You don't even have to have that <laughs> sometimes when the situation can get really volatile and they would come in the ER, and often the, the injuries weren't too severe, but there'd be somebody there, you know, a social worker, <laughs> along with the doctor, to talk him down, put him in different rooms, and um, try to get him to, uh, to come to some sort of peace on the holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's especially bad on New Year's. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's attributed to the alcohol as much as you just... You just start sharing feelings <laughs> that maybe shouldn't be shared right then, you know. And maybe you haven't got together for a long time. Anyway, I want to get away from that. And just talk about one situation in particular. I remember this morning when I got up real early. It's kind of a heartbreak. <laughs> and I hope I can do it justice. Um, I remember they brought... Uh, a young woman into the emergency room. Going, you have the waiting room where they have to process you in. They immediately process her in. 
I mean, she went to the front. I wasn't there. I was back in the, you know, waiting for the next trauma to come in because they come in. They come in on helicopters and in ambulances, and sometimes they're driven in. They need to be on call to be in the emergency. The ER? What? The ED. Oh, they call it the ED. <laughs> the emergency department. They keep changing them. So I was back, and this beautiful young woman come in, accompanied by two uh, younger uh, nurses. She wasn't doing very well. And immediately you knew it wasn't a physical injury, it was a psychological one. And you could tell she had been crying for a really long time. And when you see somebody like that, <laughs> it really gets to your heart immediately. And everyone, you don't want to get right there too too quick. And so these two nurses uh, took her into uh, one of the, the you know one of the rooms they have there, uh, where they could close the door. And they were in there for a while. Of course, they immediately called me in to go take her blood. <laughs> and I went in. So they had the lights on dim in the room, and I opened the door up. You know, I have my lab coat on and have my identification. And, you know, there's protocols in situations like this. You just don't start talking and say, hey, how's it going? I said, it's just kind of quiet. And I said, hi, you know, and I read her name to her. And I said, here to draw your blood. And she just, <laughs> she just started crying. And... Uh, she wanted me to hold her hand. You know, there was a couple of other people there. And I said, okay. And she said, you know, is it going to hurt? And I said, I don't. I said, I think it'll be okay. I've done this a lot. I don't think you'll feel any pain. She said, oh, yeah. Pain I feel you can't do anything about. And so I was real careful with her when I drew her blood. Tried to be as tender with her as I could. She's just so fragile. Later I learned that her her husband had left her without calling her or anything until later and then he gave her a call to her. He said I never really loved you. Um, I don't want you anymore. I found somebody else and um, I'd like to have a divorce. And of course, this guy was everything to her. And her next step was she didn't have anything she felt like worth living for. And so she's going to kill herself. And um, she decided she'd go to the hospital and see if she could find somebody to help her out. She just said it was, it was horrible. <laughs> this, is in, this is during the holidays, folks. Um, yeah, so there's things like that that happen, and and you just hope that person can make it through. Of course, there's it's it's good they came to the hospital, and there's people there that can really help you through a situation like that. The probably the worst part of that is a lot of people don't come to the hospital. They don't go see anybody. They just sit in their house. They go through this awful state of mind, this depression, this. Um, Nobody being there. And, you know, I, 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 I've said this before. I, I can't understand. You know, humans are a unique species because I'm around wild animals often in the forests and the mountains and deserts. Uh, isolation isn't something that most wild animals go through, in particular canines, coyotes and wolves, because I'm around them a bit. 
they have really tight-knit families. They, their legend of the lone wolf is about one thing only, and that's because humans insist on killing and shooting wolves and all these sort of superstitions that go along with it that aren't true at all. You need to spend time with wolves, with coyotes, and see what they're really like. These are incredibly affectionate animals. And, and they're, I think in a lot of ways they're much more sensitive than human beings. And so when the lone wolf is what we've created as humans when we shoot the entire pack. Can you hear the wind blowing? <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's got to be blowing around 60 miles an hour or more. Uh, yeah. The lone wolf is, if you've been to a war, you kind of can understand what wolves go, go through. Coyotes getting shot all the time. I think 400,000 coyotes get killed a year. Yeah, the federal government shoots them. Those are the ones, those are the kills that are recorded. Um, and I should know, I worked for the government for a private group, hired out their helicopters, and I was the fuel person on that crew for the helicopter, so I drive all over in this uh, fuel truck. And... and hot fuel so the helicopter's blades would keep going and then I'd fuel up the helicopter and then go out and they'd take these uh, professional hunters that the federal government has and they would go out and shoot coyotes for for ranchers I mean it's they don't just shoot a few they shoot hundreds and they stack them up and they do bounties on them. it's awful I don't want to go I don't want to talk about that too much because it's just horrible um it was about all I could take very similar to being in a war um we do horrible things to wild animals, especially ones that have deep and sensitive feelings. And I think we have all these these superstitions that are are not true at all. Uh, you know, I grew up with them, um, and uh, I know about that. I mean, I decided really chiefly being motivated by uh, this time I when I was working for the government and seeing all these coyote shot families pups in the most gruesome way you can possibly imagine um just horrible i think that's part of what later on and after i got home from the war i decided that that's the animal i'm going to find out about is the wolf and the coyote i'm going to see if all this bullshit is true i'm sorry it's not <laughs> um these are beautiful animals. They're beautiful, and even with tribes, they're brothers and sisters. They're clan. They're part of a clan. They're part, They're your ancestors. They're, there's an, a a great deal of affection for for these animals. And if one if a life needs to be taken for fur or something else, there's a whole complex process going through with prayer and fasting uh, to make sure you have the permission to take a life. To, to use that fur, to use what that animal, and the animal's giving you its life, and so there's all these protocols that have to be followed. And, have, and you, often you have to go to a deity and say, this is what I need, and then the deity will, you know, reply back in the way they do, that you need to do this, and these are the protocols, to, and I'm not, and sometimes you're not given permission to hunt the animal. Just, you're not allowed to, because your uh, reasons are not, it's not the right season, or your reasons are not legitimate. I don't know how it got to this subject, I, um, but we do things, uh, sometimes we don't really understand why, and I think the human species is, is, I think, maybe the worst on the planet. I mean, how can a person die of loneliness in a huge city with, with over a million people, like in Phoenix? 
almost 7 million people in Greater Phoenix now. And people are dying of suicide and loneliness all the time. In, in a huge, thick density population in an apartment complex, a person dies. 27 years old leaves a suicide note that they were that they wanted to leave this lonely planet. They, they, there was no one to love them. How do you, how does that happen when you're surrounded by your own kind? You won't ever see that with coyotes and wolves. You won't see a pack. A pack is not dysfunctional like that. In fact, wolves are known to sorrow when one of their members get killed. There's this whole intricate process and you get to know wolves and coyotes. There's a reason cats and dogs don't like each other. And it goes way back to the Pleistocene and beyond. Mountain lions in particular will hunt down a lone coyote or a lone wolf. Or, you know, they're very observant to watch if that animal gets isolated and they will kill and eat that animal. Especially if it's an omega or a lesser female in a pack that's smaller. And uh, wolves don't take to that very nicely. And the whole pack will sorrow sometimes for months over that lost member. Wolves have been known to actually hunt down a mountain lion and kill it. The pack, will, the pack will hunt that lion down if it's killed one of their members, and they will kill it. Because they know it, that's, that has to be done to protect their family. It's a very intricate process, these, these relationships in the wild. But wolves are one of these unusual animals that will go to the death defending their family. And if something happens to one of the members of their family, they will not forget that. And so the uh, lions and wolves, although they have a relationship with each other, they're kind of mortal enemies. They don't take kindly to each other. And so, um, yeah, so there's a reason coyotes sometimes will eat cats and things because they know it's just this, you know, cats used to be big. Look at the fossil record. <laughs> Saber-toothed lions and all these huge... Uh, Pleistocene animals that existed, dire wolves and things like that. You know, things were bigger, but they were meaner, and there's a, a lot more uh, to keep your family safe. If you have a friend, uh, someone you feel like that's isolated, that needs your help, or you can go over and see them, tell them you love them, or play cards with them, <laughs> or go for a hike with them. <laughs> Fuck the text. <laughs> Sorry about that word. I mean, that's okay, you know, to text somebody and say hi, but you know, when you're really lonely, I don't think texting's that great. Since we get in this digital world, we isolate ourselves, and we think sending somebody a text or a card's okay, and it is, I mean, I, I think it's alright, getting a letter in the mail or a card, but I think in-person is really important, and I'm really reminded of that right now, I just, I mean, this is just, it's awful to lose somebody this time of year, somebody that you love. Uh, and it's nice to have a friend, sometimes friends, that reach out and help you. To be honest with you, I don't know how I could process my grief without my friend. She's thoughtful enough to extend herself out even in a really difficult time and say, Hey Dave, I love you and you can make it through this. And uh, that's That's part of the grieving process. That's part of accidents, that's part of tragedies, um, that we come together as a species and help each other. <laughs> I don't know why, out of all the animals out there, we have to have this, even wolverines, as isolated as they are as a species, and there's not many of them left, wolverines, we may see the extinction of wolverines 
in the next 20 years. An incredible animal. Known to be solitary, but they, you know, that's, that's kind of a myth, too. They have connections with each other. Because, you know, wolverines have these vast distances, hundreds of miles they cover in the Arctic tundra and in the snow and in the, the higher parts of uh, northern regions of the United States. Um, but they, they have a real connection to each other, too. Just, I don't know, I think we've reached a, a point with our species that we are, our, our, our technology has served to give us a mirror that's of an insane kind of loneliness. I've never seen loneliness like, like this, especially since COVID. How people just are so extremely isolated for fear of sickness, for fear of talking to each other. And we use the technology to even make that isolation worse than it already is. Because you can text somebody, or you can play a video game, or you can listen to your music. But how much can you enjoy something by yourself? And listen, I spend most of my life in solitude. I do the solos for miles and miles. I go out there by myself, or I'm with my dog. I sleep under the stars. I'm completely detached from roads or highways. It's cool, but it's also horrible when there's nobody to go back to. That the solitude in the city is worse than the solitude out in the wilderness. That the solitude in your car when you're on a busy interstate and you're at the intersection and you're waiting for the light to turn green, and not on the interstate, but you're on a highway or a road, and you're all lined up together, and nobody, everybody is like, they're in a race, and they're in a hurry, and they don't, and you, you don't, you're not going to slow them down. It's pretty rare to have somebody wave at you. You know, when I grew up in a little town in Corinne, Utah, uh, everybody, when they drove by, waved at you. Truck or their car. You know, or they might stop and talk to you. I mean, there's a few times when you didn't want to look at somebody because you're mad at them or they did they stole your irrigation water or, <laughs> or you got in a fist fight at school and you lost your wrestling match to that guy that just went by fuck him you know I'm sorry. <laughs> that stuff but I think what you get now is, is I, I think it's interesting to go in a grocery store and nobody will make eye contact with you everybody's got their mask on you know it's almost like wearing the the, the, the the mop suit, the chemical suits we used to have to wear in the Middle East when there was chemical and biological elements are present in the air, you have to wear those and it isolates you. I had a dream once. It's an interesting dream. I don't know, can you guys hear the wind? I'll have to, I'm not sure this is live broadcast and it doesn't seem to be picking up on my, uh, my uh, recording devices. I'm going to drink a coffee. <laughs> I've had three and a half cups today, which is a, a, a high amount. I would have liked it to be one, but today's one of those days. Um, yeah, as I had a hard time sleeping since my girlfriend's died. Sometimes it feels like she's still in, still there in bed with me, you know, giving me a hug. And then I get more conscious and realize, no, Dave, she's not there anymore. I mean, I know she, her love, and, and I've talked about that, and there's something there, but... I miss the physical contact, the touch and the feel, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what we need as a species. How can we be, how, it seems that we're getting more and more violent, more and more isolated, more, and you know, we li I don't even know if humans are meant to be so compacted into the city, you know? So, we're some places where you're two feet from the next house, you can hear everything going on in the other their apartment through your walls, because they're built cheaply. 
you know, that developer is going to build that house as cheaply as they can and get as much money out of that, that apartment complex. Or the floor above you, you can hear that. Or people love to play their music as loud as they can and, and get their big, huge four-wheel drive behind you as close as they, as close as they can, get those bright lights, you know, and, and get you out of the way. Or their, or their brand new Telsa, they get right on your tail. <laughs> Because you, you don't have the acceleration electric car has, and you get out of their way. You know, it's not. We're not talking about political affiliations here. We're talking about mindsets, where people don't just—they don't give a damn. And even when they're home, they don't care. Like my, like my friend that's going through so much trauma now. They just—they just walk away out of a situation, and leave an entire family there. My great grandfather did that to my, to my great grandma Sarah. I'm glad she was strong. Because my grandfather, after World War I and being in shell shock and having post-traumatic stress disorder, he just left. Left my little great-grandma. She's just a little woman, like my, like Tiva, my 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 girlfriend, that five feet tall, less than a hundred pounds. She she was a fighter and she kept her family together. And I don't know how she survived. Uh, you want to listen to a nice broadcast? I did a two-part series about my grandmother just before my my last cousin on my dad's side of the family passed away of brain cancer, which was tragic. She related a lot of personal stories about my grandma Sarah because one of the last places she spent her life was with my, my cousin Kay, who's a bit older than I am. And she just related these incredible heroic stories of my grandmother that I didn't know about. I mean, I, I knew some of them, but I didn't know how much she suffered. That's the part I didn't know. How she would cry in the back room and try to keep herself together, you know, for her family. I know a little bit about that. This is the time of year that my own father killed himself. Died in what he felt was absolute loneliness in a little motel room in Tijuana. Yeah, that was, that's, there was a lot of people around him too. But the impact of that decision he made was tough on I and my sister, my younger sister who's no longer alive, and my mother was shattered. Even though she remarried, I don't. She just had horrible bouts of depression, and with my father's death, because she told me. You know, you don't always tell everybody everything you go. And I would find my mom just absolutely all out crying you know in her bedroom and she did she she didn't always like me there but sometimes she called me in just to have a hug yeah we need to um we need to reach out it's hard for me too sometimes to reach out you know i'm i i get isolated and i don't want to talk to anybody especially during covid get out go in the store you got your mask on get in there and get your stuff and get out it's an unusual time, but especially for selfishness and isolation. And sometimes the meanest person in the world might be the person that needs your love the most. And you don't know why that person is like that. And so, um, I wish I could give you the count of the number of close friends I have that are having such a rough time, and most of them are lonely as hell right now. And I, I'm not totally sure why that is. But I don't see that with with my coyote brothers and sisters when I go out in the forest. There are these incredibly beautiful families I follow around, amazed by the closeness and the love. You know, they get a little gnarly and a little 
the pups bother you too much and the mom gets a little upset or that the two mates because you know coyotes tend if, if the pack is healthy they tend to mate for life um, and, and they have very severe protocols you just don't go having one coyote doesn't just go and you know there's this this ridiculous myth among some of my native friends that you know coyotes just go and have sex with whatever coyote they can and they're just these um well, this is some this is some groups they're just these highly unmoralistic trickster type of animals coyotes are brilliant canine that's why it survives in spite of all these horrible things that happen. 400,000 of them get killed every year by the federal government, and it still survives and thrives because it's extremely... You know, most tribes think the coyote's a wolf. They don't see it as a uh, outside of the, of the wolf spe- species. Am I saying that right? Anyway, we're at the 30-minute mark here. Um, everything, and I spend a lot of time with coyotes. They're very affectionate. and They, they get a little little fights, you know, sometimes the the male's pushing it a little too much and the female's like, you know, back off. You know, they have the same kind of things going on as we do a little bit, but boy, are they devoted to each other. If they haven't been shot and killed and murdered and wiped out, the pack has very strict protocols with breeding, with who's with who, with food, uh, with where they stay and where they move and with territories. There's different packs. And they have to respect another pack's territory. This is especially true of wolves. And um, in wolves and coyotes, they, they have a sort of a... They, uh, they stay out of each other's way. But coyote is an amazingly intelligent creature, very similar to humans. And uh, we, need to, we need to look at our animal brothers and sisters, ants, which are highly social animals that have survived at least two mass extinctions because they're social because they stick together. We need to see that not only as a species do we need to stick together to survive because we need touch and feel and kiss and hug and um, but we need to see that all of us t- together on this planet need to work with each other. We need as we as we always have and not that one species you know isolates itself and breaks itself off from the rest of the natural world. So um, yeah the holiday blues and before I leave here and, and forget the dream I was t- <laughs> telling you about, I had this dream during a really, really awful time in my life. You know, I'd spent time in lockdown in a, a behavioral unit in the hospital, the one that I worked in, <laughs> in a guidance center um, at the edge of my life. Not so sure I wanted to live anymore. Connected to a war, connected to the end of a marriage, connected to uh, problems with myself, and my life was hanging by a thread. And because of the love of, I can think of two or three individuals, I made it. One was a shaman healer that was a woman that was a nurse. She saved my life, I think. But she closed the door in the room and locked it and said, You know, David, I don't want you to do something that you're going to regret, that your family's going to regret, and you are. She said, I love you, and, I, and she gave me a shamanistic blessing. She was a trained medicine woman. Her, her people in the, in the Philippines, um, since she'd been a little girl, had deemed her a shaman medicine person. So in addition to that, she came to the States and got educated and became a nurse. She was quite a good nurse, too. I had no idea she was a shaman, and so she gave me 
an incredible blessing, I think, that helped save my life in that little room. I was so out of it, I didn't even, hardly even remembered her trying to hold me up because I was slumped down. And I think she actually tied me in the chair. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I was so medicated out and she's just so kind to me. And I remember her speaking in her, in her Filipino language and I, she, she helped save my life. I owe her. There goes my cuckoo clock. But this dream, during this time period, when <laughs> it seemed like I, I could be dead at any minute, if I wouldn't have been in lockdown or in the hospital, I probably would have been dead and joined the ranks of my dad, which was part of... I kind of believe he helped me survive. His story, it's like, you know, don't do this, son. Don't, don't, uh, don't do what I did. And... Uh, I, I think he was there, too. I think he helped, helped me survive. I'm here today. Um, but I had this dream. <laughs> I'm on the moon. In fact, I remember now, I don't think I was a man. I think I was a woman. You know how dreams do that. So um, I, I'm, I have this space suit on. I mean, I'm inside. I mean, I'm in this. You know, I've talked to you about my dreams. I'm different people and different realities and, and different time periods. And my, my book, Timelines or Seraphim, <laughs> explores this whole uh, thing that I've been through with my dreams and experiences with different types of reality. So the dream, my dream, gave me this this this, this woman. You know, I mean, I, 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 mean, so I had the, I had the body and face of one, but it's still me inside of there. I'm walking on the moon, and it was the moon. <laughs> it was like it was amazing. I mean, it had the rocks, and, the, and and you know, the moon's just totally devoid of life. And I'm walking, and I have this the weightlessness of the moon, you know, and, and I have one of these like spacesuits, like they wore in 1969 in the moon. I mean, they've probably improved a lot since then. But I had that kind of a spacesuit. I'm walking along, and I can hear my. You know, my oxygen being forced into the helmet and the suit that I have on. You know, you're in a pressurized suit. You, you, you're not going to live on the moon if you just walk out there. Hey, Bob, I'm going to take a, a nude walk on the moon, you know. Poof, you know, that's going to be the end of you. You have to have a pressurized suit to, to survive there, you know. And, and plus the radiation, there's no atmosphere on the moon. So you have to have all these things to protect you. So I have, I have my spacesuit on, and I'm walking along, you know, bouncing along. And I'm really, you know, I remember I felt horribly depressed. I just, you know, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with my personal situation, my conscious world. And I just, I feel awful. And I, and, and I want, I want to find somebody. I want to take my glove off my spacesuit and I want to just hold her hand. You know, I want to, I want to. I want to have somebody I can hug. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, you know, there's nobody else on the moon. There's just you. I don't know where your space capsule or your spaceship is or your landing vehicle, but you're, you're isolated. And I felt that isolation, and I felt this horrible depression. And then something said, flip your mask up. And suddenly, you know, instead of having those kind of, you know, in the, you know those kind of spacesuits, you can't just flip the, the, the glass mask up. It's like all pressurized. But in this, this dream, you know, I have it's some, it sort, sort of turns into one of these 1950s sci-fi <laughs> helmets, and I can flip the glass up. And I'm like, God, what if, if I do that, my body's going to explode or I'll suffocate. But 
I decide, okay, I'm going to flip the, the, the glass shield up on my, on my helmet, and I flip it up, and um, I can breathe. I was like, oh my God, there's oxygen on the moon. And then this voice says, you're not on the moon. And I look, and I realize there's a city in the distance. And, and as I walk, you know, this loneliness just gets worse and worse as I walk. I realize, it's like, Dave, you're on the planet Earth. Y yeah, this is Earth. And so I think I, what I got from that dream is um, we're, really in a, we're really in a tough spot as a species. We don't know how to love each other. We don't know how to touch. And if we do, we forget or we're too busy. Or we're too detained with our technology. Too much on the computer or we text too much. And we don't have the means to reach out and give somebody a hug. I've seen somebody in the grocery store. I don't even know what happened there. There's this woman and she gave another, it was a homeless woman, obviously. She was giving her a hug. And I seen the face of the homeless woman. I couldn't see the other, fa you know, the woman that was hugging her. I couldn't see her face until I walked past him. She was crying, and just trembling. And this woman had her had set her groceries down, and she was giving her a hug. It was a pretty powerful moment because you know I was only interested in getting out of the store with my groceries and getting in my car and going home. I didn't want to be in the store. <laughs> <laughs> it really made me stop and think, wow, you know, it's still possible to um, to say to somebody, even if you don't know, hey, I love you. And I know you're having a hard time, and um, here, I can help you a little bit. And I, I, don't, I don't, I think we should be thinking like that all year long, not just during the holidays. You know, I had a homeless friend once say, <laughs> He got more stuff on the holidays than he could deal with, more food and money. And he said it'd be, it would have been nice if, he could, if that would have lasted the rest of the year. He said, then everybody stops talking to you and giving you food or, any, or, or helping you out because the holiday's over and you go back to, you know, hoping you can find a bottle and drinking yourself into oblivion in the back. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, all right, folks. All right, that's here we coming to the end of this broadcast. Blues on the holidays. If you know somebody uh, that needs help, um, go see him, okay? Go pay him a visit. You might be saving. You might be saving their life. You might be saving your own life too. All right, I love you guys. Um, happy holidays. But let's try to make like what? What is, what's it? Uh, um, Scrooge saying Charles Dickens. Oh my God. <laughs> I have to go through that. You know, we should make Christmas every day of the year, not just one. And, uh, and remind ourselves that we have fellow human beings and that we're connected to a planet with beautiful animals and trees and, and, and all these wonderful things are part of our life, not just ourselves. It's just, there's nothing more awful than just being by yourself for too long. I know the solo. I've done the solo for years. I know the wilderness. I know the voyage out into the unknown. <laughs> and the fasting and the praying and the doing the hallucinogenic medicine and, and having, you know, I know all, I know the solitude. That's, and I think that's important. But I think more important is you can go back out of the wilderness into the city and you can feel a connection to people. And that's what... 
isolation that's what solitude voyage is all about is coming back to coming back from out there and embracing your family and your friends and being a little bit stronger than you were before you left able to give more and to help more or, or the void or the soul is not worth a damn you know not to me if it doesn't do something to you to edify your 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 soul and your heart and to let you know that you're connected to everything not just to yourself and then there might be somebody out there walking around on their where they think they're on the moon and they think they're by themselves and what it really is just it's it's their backyard it's their apartment it's their house and they can breathe and they can feel deeply and there's nobody there you know I'm going to play that song. It's an old song by Kansas. Um, it's pretty powerful if you listen to it. Maybe you think it's, it's kind of dated. But you know, Kansas is one of these groups that had the power to really reach down into your heart and, and make you think about things. And this song, uh, Nobody's Home, is pretty powerful stuff. And I'm going to end the broadcast with that. All right, love you. Happy holidays. Hope this wasn't too much of a downer. <laughs> love is the most powerful thing that we have more powerful than um, a nuclear bomb more powerful than and it can we need to get reconnected to that and animals have it and I and I know plants have it and, you know call me up and we'll argue about it I'll talk to you about ayahuasca and other things love is an energy and force that's amongst all things conscious and alive and I think even holding the very universe fabric of the universe together itself I know you can talk to me about the quantum world. <laughs> it's your protons and the atoms. I think it's love. I think we need to go down there a little smaller and look at in the quantum way and say, hey, what is that really strange particle, atomic particle floating around? Oh, you know, this could be a hundred years, thousand years. That's what we call, you know, it's love. <laughs> oh, you mean it's, it's holding the entire fabric together of, of reality? Yeah. Nice. Well, give me a give me a big, huge box full of that. <laughs> give me a big hug. All right, Tiva, I miss you. And I look forward to whenever that day is. I can see you again and give you a big hug. And uh, tell you sorry for some of the things that I did that I'll take to, my, to the grave. And that I so love you, Tiva. And thank you for somehow, in some shape or form, being with me. And you might notice that in these broadcasts. There's something unusual there. And so, I think Tiva's not dead. <laughs> I just wish she was there so I could hold her and feel her body and her breath and her nice kisses and listen to her sing and do her crazy stuff. All right, we'll see you. This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kilohertz and the 80-meter band signing off the air.
lives within I look around and I find no trace To tell me what has been So far I've come to find There's no one here, no life I fear I came for nothing, they have gone And nobody's home
little bird hopping on my porch. No, it sounds kind of sad, but what's it all for? Right now, you're the only friend I have in the world, and I just can't take out very much. Goddamn, I miss that girl. Little bird, you look alright. I'm sure it's not easy getting through your night. So tell me this can't be how it's gonna end. Tell me my heart somehow, dear God, it's gonna mend. Stations Radio. 